welcome to the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you haven't joined us before, we're passionate about all things internal medicine and helping you become the best tech you can be. We'll be discussing interesting internal medicine diseases, how to work closely with pet parents, and how to become the go-to tech in your practice. Now, let's start the show. Welcome back, everybody. We're super excited that you are still with us for our third episode of the podcast. If you haven't listened to the first two, I am Yvonne. I am going to be one of the co-hosts for the show, and I am joined by Jordan. Hi. I am also officially a (laughs) co-host. You are officially a co-host, for sure. (laughs) I bought a new mic and everything. I know, right? (laughs) So speaking of recording and how we sound, I want to warn everybody, we did not record episodes zero through six in the same play order as recording. So unfortunately, I will warn you, there are a couple of episodes where I recorded on my computer microphone and then Jordan recorded on the microphone she had, and we both listened back and realized that the sound quality just wasn't that great. So we've officially both upgraded our microphones. So hopefully this will be more the norm for all of the episodes after probably five, six, where we sound a little bit more like we're not talking in a tunnel. But Jordan got an official microphone, which is exciting. (laughs) (laughs) I'm super excited. Speaking of being excited, we're glad that you have decided to join us on this learning experiment. We are talking all things internal medicine. And this week we are, we're diving into the world of normal cat vomiting. Because if you're a technician, you can bring up nasty things like vomiting in like just a normal conversation. So, so we're, we're discussing vomiting and in case you're, you know, driving to work, it's, it's totally normal to talk about vomiting while driving to work. It's, it's so relaxing, but the reason we're talking about quote unquote normal cat vomiting is we are celebrating national cat day so today we when this episode goes live it's october 29th 2019 and it is national cat day so what better way than to talk about the vomiting that we see our cats for yes frequent frequent normal cat vomiting those clients who come in and they're like oh my cat vomits um probably every other day but that's normal for her or him. Oh my God. I, how many times have you heard that from a client? Oh, it's, it, you know, he vomits, but it's normal cat vomit. Yeah. Which then I'm like, but it's not. I'm like, like do, do you, you vomit every day? Right? Do you vomit every day? That I, that, that phrase goes through my head every single time. I'm like, there is no such thing as normal vomiting for any animal. <laughs> like, no, it, yes. Some animals have, what is it? Eructation. Do you remember that? for the, the, <laughs> the four chamber stomachs. Yes. Yes. But that's not vomiting and cats are not herbivores. They're carnivores. Sorry. Rant. <laughs> I don't, I don't ever rant. What are you talking about? No, it's, it's completely normal. Just like cat vomiting. <laughs> Wait, are you saying my tech rants aren't normal? Hey, my tech rants are just up there too. <laughs> So we decided that we would talk about something that drives us crazy, especially in in internal medicine, because we do see cats come in quite a bit for vomiting. So just a reminder, (laughs) what exactly is vomiting? So I love this. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines vomiting as an act or instance of disgorging the contents of the stomach (laughs) through the mouth. It is also I do love that description. I know, right? Also known as vomitus. Yeah. Or emetus. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I think everybody knows what vomiting is, but I think it's a good reminder to talk about the difference of vomiting versus regurgitation. So I, I will, a lot of times when I, when I'm getting my history from clients, I ask them vomiting or regurgitation. Most clients have absolutely no clue what regurgitation is. So they just say, yeah, my animal vomits. So just, you know, it's, it's important as a technician to get the most thorough history that we can. So it makes things easier for our doctors. What I usually do is, okay, first I ask them, have you seen them vomit? 
you know, because sometimes they just find vomit, especially cats, right? We just find, you know, in the middle of the night when you don't have shoes on. Oh yeah. Getting out of bed. Yeah. <laughs> That's when we find the vomit <laughs> slash hairball grossness. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so it's, you know, it's that question of, did you see it or did you, did you just find it? And then <laughs> I always go, so did you see it? And they say, yes. And I'm like, okay. So were they doing the <laughs> thing, you know? Yeah, and they and and I'm like, yeah, the whole movement and coming up and it comes up, or is it really actually regurgitation where it just comes up? So like I usually say, you know, kind of like an acid reflux type thing, and then people there's no effort to it, and then people tend to understand it. The other thing I ask them to, which is sometimes an indication of regurging versus vomiting. I asked them, you know, do they burp up stuff and then just kind of chew it and swallow it down? Right. That's, that's more (laughs) right. Again, we're all in the field. So if this grosses you out, you're probably listening to the wrong podcast because we'll get, we'll get grosser. (laughs) I'm sure at some point, but yeah, it's big to know the difference between the two. Yeah. Well, and your just like anatomy of it. If it's vomiting or regurged, you know, you're looking upper GI tract. So esophagus, more of like regurged when pets have mega esophagus or a congenital issue. Mm-hmm. And then or like gastritis. And, yeah. Or obstructions. There's, there's so many, the list yeah. goes on. <laughs> there's a long list. Yeah. And one thing too, if, you know, if you want to send things to your clients, we do on, on our website, well, on one of the websites. So internal medicine for petparents.com. So more geared towards the pet owner, we do have a a post about vomiting versus regurgitation. And so it's, you know, you could definitely share that with them. We'll put a list in the show notes or a link in the show notes. So you can, you can check that out, but it it is a good idea. Like, like Jordan was saying, you know, we, we have to figure out what's causing the vomiting versus regurge. And so thorough history is huge. So one of the big things about, you know, knowing our, our pets, our patients really that are coming in with it is, you know, really any age pet, any breed, any species can, can do this. There's not really a predisposition to vomiting. I would say when we're looking at differentials, as far as, you know, what's going on typically, although it's not guaranteed, but typically, you know, when I'm thinking young animals, young cats, I would, I would worry about like a foreign body, especially if it's something that happened recently. It's not a chronic thing. Congenital. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love yeah. the congenital. Yeah. Ones. Oh. yeah so uh, what's like <laughs> an example of congenital that you can think of? So it's like, it's like that fun mystery game where you're like, why do I have a one-year-old cat coming in and vomiting or regurgitating? And turns out it's actually regurgitating. And there's a, a persistent right aortic arch. That's probably, mm. I mean, it's not great for the pet, but that's a good example. That's a good mystery to solve. And then mega esophagus can definitely be congenital. That one's not as fun, mm-hmm. but <laughs> yeah, or, or some odd cardiac sphincter issue. You know, maybe it it doesn't close all the way. You know, is there esophagitis? And and I've actually seen this where parasites can cause irritation, reflux, or regurgitation or vomiting. So we, you know, we look at that. And the other thing too, with younger pets is toxins. So, cause cats, yeah, kitty cats. cause kitty cats like to eat and chew on all sorts of crap. Right. So we yeah. look for those things and, and we ask those in-depth questions to try to rule those out. Older pets, especially older cats, we look for metabolic disease. You guys know what that means, right? So things within the body that's causing the vomiting. Yeah. So common, common things I think it used to be definitely, well, it still is one of my first thoughts when I see an old cat come into the clinic or the hospital for vomiting is hyperthyroidism. That's definitely a huge one, but then there's obviously other diseases that we'll kind of get into based on the history that you obtain mm-hmm. from your patient or from your client. Just, you want to get a thorough history. If there's a chance that the cat got into anything, even if it is older, chronic issues that may be this turns out this is normal for the cat to vomit once a day for the last seven years. Any medications the pet might be on or parasite exposure. I know a lot of questions around my clinic are when was the last time like you had a your yard sprayed or your house sprayed for bugs mm-hmm. or parasites or mosquitoes. And that can be a big one too, is if your cat was in the corner licking it. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I think people are becoming more conscious of that, but but you know, we have to keep in mind that our clients don't know as much about this as we do. 
And we may have a client who's never owned an animal before. And so their experience of normal is what this animal is doing. But in reality, that's not normal. We've created a handout for you that is a list of history questions. So when you're going into the room, questions you should be asking every single patient every time just to mm -hmm. see, you know, what's going on. And, and, or we have one that's, you know, for your initial consult, your initial time seeing them versus like a recheck appointment, right? You're, you don't need quite as much for a recheck as you do as a consult or your initial you know, seeing this pet for this problem. So we'll have that for you guys to use and we'll put it in the show notes. We'll put a link in there because I think that's huge is understanding what's going on and making sure you're asking questions that are not going to give you subjective answers and also mm -hmm. hopefully not be yes or no, right? You want to, well, there are some that are going to be more yes or no, or yeah, that happens. What's the frequency describe, you know, description is good. And so, so yeah. we'll have those questions and, and you can check it out in the, in the show note. We'll, we'll have the handout for you. I think it's good too, with cats, like, especially like, I think one thing that I don't think a lot of people think to ask is if there's been a change in the environment, cats oh, get stressed easily. Yeah. That, um, that's a great question <laughs> so for sure. Cause especially, I mean, we have a lot of people where I am move or are here for the summer. And so I think a lot of that is they brought their cat with them and now their cat doesn't really want to eat and is vomiting every day mm. or multiple times a day. So that can be an indication of some, something going yeah, on. Yeah. And change well. in environment, you know, not just vomiting, but there can be things that they're allergic to in the environment too. And so that can cause mm -hmm. issues. And, and, you know, one, one thing to remember when asking about vomiting and regurg is hairballs specifically use the word hairballs because most clients do not think a hairball is actually vomiting, which kills me. I'm oh, like, yeah. why, why do you not think something coming out of the mouth is vomiting? They're like, it's a hairball. <laughs> that's normal. No hairballs are not really normal. Yeah. Especially if your cat's like excessively grooming, that can also indicate another, another underlying issue, whether it be pain or discomfort of some sort. And then they're just excessively grooming their abdomen. And then so they then in turn form yeah. hairballs. And I don't know about, I'm sure you've, I'm sure you've seen like obstructive hairballs. Yeah. It, which fun. is funny because I feel like those usually have some underlying problem. Um, yeah, I definitely. Saying, I think the last I was one I say, saw was lymphoma. Any a cat with lymphoma <laughs> um, because there's a lymph node that's a giant and now the hairball can't get through. So, um, yeah, and, exactly. and you know, when, when you say hairball, yeah, if you've got like a hairball every six to 12 months, yeah, it's a long haired cat. Sure that can be okay. But you know, if they're once a week, once every other week, hairballs, that's not normal. You know, remember there's no such thing as a petroleum deficiency in nature. So laxatone, it's not a thing. Like cats don't go out and get laxatone because of their hairballs. So just, just remember that. Yeah. So the, the other big thing about hairballs um, that I thought was super interesting when I started working in internal medicine, I didn't, I don't think I'd heard this prior to working in internal medicine. Hairballs can also indicate respiratory disease, which is very interesting. So cat coughing, mm. a lot of people think that a cat coughing is actually the cat trying to vomit. We actually had mm -hmm. a cat just this week beautiful Himalayan long-haired cat has small cell lymphoma as well <laughs> as I believe a little bit of kidney disease. Right. Even and so we were, we're getting this history <laughs> and he came in for respiratory distress and we're like, wow, you know, like you have GI disease, you have kidney failure. Oh my God. Now you have heart issues. Like we just went there because we're like, why wouldn't you have heart issues? So, yeah, exactly. you know, we, we did chest x-rays. We also had the cardiologist take a listen to him. Uh, once he was a little bit more stable, obviously, like we kind of got him stable before we did all this. It turns out he's got asthma. So <laughs> mom had been treating his quote unquote, trying to vomit with Serenia mm -hmm. for months. And so she finally got a video of what he was doing after, well, it was on a recheck. So I, I was like, wait, what's going on with him? And I pulled up a video online and was like, is this what he's doing? And she was like, that's exactly what he's doing. Mm -hmm. And it was actually him coughing. So we've had like two or three follow-ups since then. And she's like, I think he's 
better. She's like, I don't think he's vomiting now, but I, the coughing yeah. seems better. So she, you know, she just thought it was vomiting when in, in fact it was really him coughing. Well, yeah. which is interesting though. Cause if he was on Serenia and Serenia has that off label mm-hmm. use for cough as a, like a cough suppressant. So I'm sure it was just like masking <laughs> yeah. all the signs of what this cat yeah, was actually I was like, experiencing. Oh, a little anti-inflammatory and he gets better. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. and so he's actually on an inhaler now, which he's tolerating, which is great. But you know, it's a, it's a reminder then to not make assumptions about what's going on with cats, you know, asking we've, we've had these respiratory, like chronic bronchitis cats that come in, you know, they were having frequent hairballs because what's happening is they're coughing so hard. They make themselves vomit. So that's just something yeah. to kind of keep in mind. I don't know if you guys have ever had a really bad cough. Yeah. I was just thinking that. I was Cough and you're just like, Oh my God. And then you vomit. It's, it's that. Yeah, exactly. And like your whole oh, body hurts from it. Like, like the most miserable just, thing ever. Yeah, you're just like, worst. I just, can I go to bed now? Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's good to remember we are mammals. Yeah, right. <laughs> I think important though, too, to ask is just be sure how frequent is this cat vomiting? Because again, like people are going to say it's normal. Well, how normal or how frequent is normal for them? Some people will say once a day, every other day, once a week, once a month, maybe a long haired cat twice a year for a hairball but not not really any more than that like people need to remember it's right. you don't vomit every day yeah. <laughs> at least and i hope if you not. do you should seek medical advice just saying and we're, we're not yes. it <laughs> not from us <laughs> you know it, you can also ask them uh if there's a pattern to it so are they seeing yeah more in the mornings they haven't gotten fed yet and and they vomit so we have some pets that with an empty stomach they get really nauseous and they yes. will vomit is it right after they eat food so everything that comes up is is food and not you know, yellow bile or foam, or, you know, are, are you seeing anything else? I, I hope you're not seeing blood. So remember to ask them, is it frank <laughs> red blood? Is it, does it look like coffee grounds? I love when people take pictures of things because that yes. is not subjective. That is now objective. Cause I can see it. Um, so asking yeah. clients to bring in pictures or videos. Well, and then too, like if it is after eating, how long after eating? Cause that's going to also help you determine if it's vomiting or regurge. Yeah. So that's pretty important too. And then I know a lot of, I've had several clients come in and be like, well, we pushed feeding up because my cat seemed hungry at 5 PM. So now I feed at 5 PM, but he vomits overnight sometime and he doesn't eat till 8 AM. So yeah, I think timing of when things are given and when things are noticed is pretty important. Yeah. And to kind of go along with that is asking them to, you know, when did they eat? And let's say, let's say they got fed at eight o'clock at night you know, and they're, they're, they don't get anything overnight because they don't free feed because it's a fat orange cat. (laughs) So they feed at eight o'clock at night and in the morning, you know, it's eight o'clock again and they vomit, but they haven't gotten breakfast yet, yet food is coming up, right? That, that tells you a lot. That means that the stomach isn't emptying appropriately. So, you know, again, thorough history, getting as much information as we can for our doctors to help them make informed treatment plans. Right. Yeah. Cause when you're obtaining a history too, and you do hear like a situation like that, where my cat hasn't eaten since 8 PM last night, but vomited up undigested food at 7 AM, you have to remember that cat stomachs should empty within four to six hours of a meal. So I think that's pretty important too, when, when realizing that that should be an indication that something, something's mm-hmm. wrong. Yeah. And, uh, the other thing to go along with that is, you know, grass eating grass. It's not normal unless it's cat grass (laughs) and they just like chewing on stuff, but chewing on stuff to make themselves vomit is it's not normal. So especially if you have a cat, that's not a normal chewer of grass, like, you know, there's the behavioral, I love grass. I'm going to chew on it versus Oh yeah. Like once a month, he just chews on grass and then he vomits. Yeah. And those cats who love to chew on things usually also (laughs) like to chew on like plastic bags and other things that can cause other vomiting. uh, Are you talking about my cat? That's my favorite. (laughs) Chews on the microphone. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, no chewing, but rubbing on the microphone. I would kill them if they chew on it. (laughs) It's their microphone. Everything is theirs. Let's be real. It's a cat. Right. Yeah, exactly. So I think then going back into when did it all start? How long has this vomiting been going on? Has it been chronic for years? Has it been recent within the last couple of days? Do meds help? Uh, Your one patient that you had, the Serenia may have helped, but then it turns out was coughing, but 
could have mm-hmm. still helped. So I need to find out if the meds don't help, then obviously instead of refilling Serenia, try something different. And then of course, yeah, that eat something unusual where they ate a plastic bag or they found pieces of a plastic bag. Or string. Yeah, tinsel around Christmas. Oh, yeah. The other or a plant in general, like a lily. Say, <laughs> or plants. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Especially if they go outside. I mean, that's that's a really good point too, is asking client, you know, do they have these plants in their backyard or do their neighbors have it? Because you want to make sure we can rule that out. Like the big one that's that we talk about right now is sago palms. Oh, good. You do have those yeah. too. Yeah. I have like six of them in my oh, front yard. Oh, nice. My dogs, don't go, yeah. my dogs don't go out there. Yeah. But yeah, that's a common occurrence. And obviously that's definitely more geared towards dogs and cats, I feel. Yeah. But it still can happen. I think people just assume that because their cats only stay on the patio, they can't get into a sago palm. Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> or a lily that's in your neighbor's yard. Yeah. So yeah, knowing exactly. that is is big. Yeah, definitely keeping, I think a huge tip for like just knowing your general area and what toxins outside can be around you. Knowing what plants are around you, what snakes, snakes are big I was like, here. oh God, not snakes. It's just dry. <laughs> <laughs> we have spiders though. Um, yeah, we, well, we have black widows and stuff too. And all those things can actually cause a pet to vomit. Mm-hmm. So on intake, yeah, if your client noticed a spider under the table and then your cat was under there playing or something and mm-hmm. now the spider is missing, but the cat is vomiting, <laughs> it could indicate something. Yeah. Travel history. So I, for the longest time, did not ask my cat owners if their cats traveled because I just would be like, oh, did any move or anything like that? But I asked it to one of my clients one time and he was like, oh yeah, well, you know, Zippy's been to Nebraska and Wyoming and we took him in the RV to go when we went to Yellowstone National Park. And I was like, oh, so this cat literally went with him everywhere in the RV. So yeah, we had a cat like that too. Don't assume that cats aren't traveling. (laughs) You know, I think in my head, I think traveling cats, I think show cats, but I don't see a lot of show cats. I mean, I probably see a few, but not many, but you know, cats, cats do travel. So asking, you know, where they got them, you know, did they come from another part of the country or another part of the world? I also had a dog that came from Iran one time, which that's a whole other story, but you know, just making sure you know where animals are coming from. Yeah, definitely. And I think just, I mean, I think we briefly mentioned it earlier, but like environmental changes. So diet change, bowl change, Mm. changes in treats, or maybe your treats do say like, new and improved and yeah. now your cat might be having a problem yeah diet so change think- diet change is huge speaking of yes. sorry i know plenty of people who think their cats and dogs get bored with a certain food and that's why they stop eating yes <laughs> it actually can indicate a food aversion yeah so especially if you have a kidney cat right Kidney cats are the worst because kidney failure makes them feel nauseous when the toxins build up in their system. So what I tell my kidney cat owners is, you know, I don't, I don't care which one you end up picking, but I usually say, go with the Hills KD, go with the Royal Canin renal diet and the Purina NF. You buy all the flavors, all the textures And then once your cat stops eating the one, you switch to the next one and then they'll eat that for a little while. And then once they stop eating that, go to the next one. But then you can always go back to the one that they ate previously because usually what happens is they feel nauseous. So they stop wanting to eat that one particular food um, or flavor or texture. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, after a while, they kind of forget that they don't like that one because they're like, oh yeah, I like that one again. So you don't have to throw it out. You don't have to get rid of it. You can potentially just keep it, you know, in your shelf and come back to it later. And that way they're staying on like a kidney specific diet. You're, you're helping prevent the nausea because of buildup of toxins with other food. And and for cats, that's a big thing. So try to avoid, you know, the other foods that are going to make them feel worse long-term. So especially if they were eating it to begin with versus they never ate it, they hate it to begin with. Like that's different, but if they ate it and they like it, keep it in your back pocket, come back to it again. Yeah. Yeah. But I do think that like the frequent changes of diets before GI issues can definitely there. I think there was a study. I'll have to find it. There was something out there about how 
frequent changes in diets and proteins that the pet eats can actually cause food mm. allergies and then cause the vomiting and stuff. And then of course, too, if it is a food allergy and you've already tried or given your pet all the diets throughout its life, yeah. then it does make it harder to find that novel protein that they've never had before in order to put them on a hypoallergenic diet. Yeah. So. And, and speaking of novel proteins, I, I will, I will soapbox. I'm sorry. It's a tech rant. Ta-da! <laughs> we should make an, a little a little <laughs> diddle for that a little, <laughs> a little like a lion a roar. Song. <laughs> yeah <laughs> so uh my tech rant on food i i'm a big firm believer of a prescription diet yes. versus an over-the-counter diet and i, I and it's not that it's a specific brand for me. It the the big three brands that we think of is going to be Hills, Purina, and Royal Canin. They have prescription diets. Those diets are specially formulated for the diseases. They also have very strict control of their food and they do voluntary recalls. One of the biggest things I have a problem with is when people say, oh, but they were recalled. Yes, but it was a voluntary recall because the food that they made did not meet their standard. Mm-hmm. not nobody else got involved like they voluntarily recalled whatever it was because it didn't meet something yeah and when we're talking especially novel protein diets it's very important to know which which company you're using and what their what their practice of making that food is because the big the big ones that that have that they have specific factory like lines that only Mm. make that food because they don't want to cross contaminate with other proteins and other things that can be allergic in in that novel protein food. And I, and I like telling clients and that you can use this analogy for clients if they don't understand food allergies or food sensitivities, just tell them peanut, right? Like everybody understands peanut is an allergy. One person, if they eat a peanut and they just have a little bit of a sensitivity, maybe they just get a little bit of an upset stomach versus an, a person who has a peanut allergy. Maybe they go into anaphylactic shock and they need to be rushed to the hospital. It depends on the immune system, how extreme they're going to get, you know, how much vomiting they're going to have, how much GI upset. So it's just, it's really important when we're talking to clients for them to understand that you don't necessarily want to use an over-the-counter food because they don't have those strict controls of what potentially could be in the food. So that is my (laughs) tech rant about prescription diet food. (laughs) And then, so I think what that's kind of leading into those, the causes for vomiting. So you got to determine acute versus chronic. So how long it's been going on. Chronic is longer than three months and that can be off and on, not consistently off and on. So it's like consistently once a week for three months or longer, that would be a chronic thing. Or those pets who are chronically vomiting for a week and then they get better and then they vomit again for a week and then they get better. (laughs) Yeah. But the acute can be diet changes, obviously, as we just talked about. Parasites, of course, especially in the younger patients or outdoor kitty cats that people rescue and show up on their front porch, but this cat vomits every day. And then of course, well, again, infectious diseases if you pick up that stray cat off the off the front porch. <laughs> I have one of those. It's cool. Well, they're the best. Let's be honest. Actually, I have two of those. <laughs> oh, great. Both of my cats left over were strays that That's another know, story. Tech, tech tech cats, what can you say? Right? They all have a problem. I mean, how do you think I ended up with five dogs? (laughs) I don't know, but that's a lot of dogs. It's a lot of dogs. (laughs) Uh, Oh, one thing that you were kind of talking about, the kind of chronic vomiting. Keep in mind, if a pet has a food allergy, Mm -hmm. let's just go with that. And let's say once a month they have vomiting, but then they're fine. It's like a week of vomiting. Ask them when they give heartworm and flea prevention (laughs) because a lot of times it's once a month or maybe it's every three months so we because they could be allergic to something in that in that medication yeah yeah Um, we found a couple of those we're like yeah let's do topical and then they're fine yeah they're not eating exactly well and you got to look into the medications too especially if they've just started a new joint supplement or something like that Mm. anything Mm -hmm. with those additives in it or they had something compounded and it has this bacon flavor that's really made from like fish products or something weird yeah and 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 also the gelatin caps there we have some animals that are allergic to that (laughs) so that can all cause vomiting Yay. Oops. Yay, vomiting. So, <laughs> trying, to figure, 
so many things can cause vomiting. So you got the foreign bodies, of course, which I got to say, I do enjoy a good foreign body here and there. I, I, you know what I like about foreign bodies is it's fixable. (laughs) It's fixable. Exactly. (laughs) You know, most of the times, I mean, yes, unfortunately, there are some cases that's not the case, but most of the times they feel like crap and then they have surgery and then they go home and they live a happy life. I know. And And you like never see them again, but then they're just wonderful. Like it's great. But, and then, well, I already said parasites, food sensitivities, IBD, we briefly touched about lymphoma, but Mm -hmm. irritable bowel disease or inflammatory bowel disease is more common than I think I realized when I was working in general practice. Yeah. And same Which, with lymphoma. I don't, I don't think I realized how, how frequent intestinal lymphoma was versus the normal lymphoma. <laughs> right. And I think, you know, you, we're going to talk about diarrhea, which vomiting and diarrhea, definitely inflammatory bowel disease and lymphoma are big on that list to make sure that our, our animals don't have. And we'll talk about, I'm sure we can probably have an inflammatory bowel disease. Oh, for sure. Episode, <laughs> Because there's different ways to treat it. There's different causes for it. So, you know, just getting your history, knowing with the vomiting, diarrhea, regurgitation, all that stuff is is huge. We talked about asthma as being kind of a differential Mm -hmm. for why we're vomiting. And another one that I thought was interesting is heart disease. Yes. Which I thought my, I thought my doctor was crazy when she just suggested it, but you get, so you get this interesting I am not a cardiology technician, so I don't work with it a lot. We, I'm fortunate. I have a cardiologist in our clinic, so they deal with it. I usually don't, but you know, once if a, if an animal has heart disease, you can get that fluid overload, which also Mm -hmm. can go into the gut, which can cause diarrhea and it can cause vomiting. So, you know, that's, that's something to keep in the back of your head and not just coughing, but also GI upset from heart disease, which is kind of crazy actually. Yeah. It's unreal. And then of course, like the metabolic diseases, we talked about the kidney disease, thyroid disease, diabetes, Mm -hmm. liver (laughs) disease. Yeah. All All, all all the diseases, (laughs) (laughs) all the things can cause vomiting. So it is a pretty big differential list when you like start out and you're in a room with a patient who's vomiting. But I think trying to get down the basic information of what your patient is actually experiencing will narrow down that list pretty quickly. Yeah. And then of course, like what skills do we use? I mean, I think that's why hopefully people are listening is to gain a little bit of knowledge and gain some skills. So what skills are we using when we are assessing these patients or dealing with these patients? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and I think technicians play a huge role as far as not just history, right. And talking mm-hmm. to our clients, but also the diagnostics, right. Yeah. So our doctors order the diagnostics they want. There's very few that they do. <laughs> most most of the times it's us, right? So it's it's huge. And we do most of our patients when they come in, getting baseline lab work is huge, no matter what disease it is, right? So we want to rule out, is it a metabolic disease that's causing it or is it mechanical, right? A mm-hmm. functional disease. So we want to look at those. And we talked about like renal failure, pancreatitis, thyroid disease. Those are more metabolic Although pancreatitis is also mechanical because it's got an exocrine and an endocrine function, right? And so that's coming. That's coming soon. (laughs) We'll be talking about that as well. Yeah. (laughs) And so, you know, getting that baseline lab work helps tremendously, you know, so your, your chemistry, your full chemistries, electrolyte, CBC, ideally, you know, a T4 thyroid Mm -hmm. check. So those should be in your basics as well as like a urinalysis to look and see are the kidneys concentrating? Is there, is there an infection, right? Infection can definitely do that. We didn't actually yeah. talk about that. No, no I mean, pyelonephritis is like, yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. And also check to see if they're hydrated, right? Are, are, is their blood super concentrated and, and now we're dehydrated. So we have to, to, to work with that. So getting, getting the blood work is huge. Yeah. And then I personally enjoy imaging. I do like obtaining radiographs and holding for ultrasounds. Ultrasounds are my favorite, but that's just because I've been around them so long. And I think (laughs) now I think I know what I'm seeing. 
Yeah. I, I love, I love guessing. Yeah. (laughs) I it's, it's funny because my doctor that I work with, she, she, a lot of times will get, you know, a phone call or she gets something else where she can't come into ultrasound right away. Yeah. And so I've gotten into the habit now that I just start looking. Yeah. And, and it's fun. Cause I'm like, look what I found. And, and it, I, I, this is usually what I do. I go, Hey, Hey doctor, I think this dog has a forward body. Yeah. And, right. And then she'll be like, yep. Great. <laughs> you know, so that was fun when, when I started being able to see things, but yeah, I do love that game. We can do that. Right. It's, it's not illegal for a technician to get imaging. No. Um, so, you know, again, doctor preference. Yeah. 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 There are there's courses you can take. I was going to say there's courses they're looking <laughs> at, they're looking at certification for it, which is awesome. If you really like imaging the VTS in imaging, what it, I think it's in, I think they're just now accepting applications yeah. or in the process of it. it. What is it? Advanced diagnostic imaging. Yeah, I, I believe that's, yeah. Diagn- we'll put a link to them as well in the show notes. I looked at it because I really wanted to do it, but there's a lot of large animal stuff on it. Yes. <laughs> I was like, well, that's not happening because I'm a small animal practice only kind of person. So unfortunately I couldn't yeah. do it. But we also, you know, when we're talking about diagnostic imaging, let's say you have an animal that's regurgitating or not able to swallow or anything like that. You can do a swallow study with fluoroscopy. Mm-hmm. I personally have not done one, but I've seen the images from it. It's it's really cool. And you can see, you know, how is the food bolus going down the esophagus and how is it entering into the stomach? And so that's, that's really cool. Yeah, that would be great. And of course, well, in general practice, obviously more of just like the normal contrast studies, you can do a swallow study with barium or omnipake. Mm-hmm caution of watching for aspiration pneumonia that is bad with barium yeah i think my surgeons if we have to if we absolutely have to do some sort of contrast study they prefer omnipake for barium so that's that's helpful (laughs) yeah and and the reason for that is they don't want barium in the abdomen yes like that is that is all sorts of bad but omnipake because it can go iv it's it's okay yes definitely Um, and procedures. I am a big fan of endoscopic procedures. I know that's not generally done in general practice, but I've, I've done it, I think a few times in one practice in general practice, but yeah. And we can, we can definitely talk more in depth about endoscopy. Cause I think that's a whole, it's that's a, a whole, whole episode on all the yeah. endos- <laughs> endoscopic procedures. Yeah. But the cool thing is, is, you know, we, we run a scope, a, a, picture. So we get a picture, go down the the esophagus into the stomach. We can go into the duodenum. Unfortunately, we can't really go past the duodenum most of the times, Mm -hmm. but we can also do a lower endoscopy and look in the colon and see if there's things there. So, you know, we get a really good visual image of what things look like in there. We can also get biopsies. We can retrieve foreign bodies sometimes. So endoscopy is pretty good. It is pretty good. It's minimally invasive. That was hard coming out. Um, (laughs) And it's just, you do get a lot of information because there's things that you can't quite see how red like a stomach actually is on ultrasound or on x-rays. So when you Mm -hmm. go in and visually see that it looks angry, it's Mm -hmm. it's pretty cool. So we'll definitely have to find some pictures and put up because I have several of those. I have a lot of pictures. (laughs) We'll put a, we'll make a whole page. Yes. There's, there's going to be a whole section I'm sure of endoscopy. We just haven't made it yet. Yeah. It's definitely one of my favorite things to do. We'll get there. Special tests. (laughs) I've done a lot of, like I said, I call them gut busters at my practice, (laughs) but the GI panels at Texas A&M, the whole GI lab is great. And they actually do have a ton of good information on their website too about GI disease, but we run the TLI, PLI, cobalamin, and folate panel. So it's their big panel on cats and dogs. Yeah. And, and Jordan and I kind of talked about this beforehand because we both use Texas A&M for the the GI lab. If you're, if you're running a cobalamin in your clinic or an FPL, spec CPL, spec FPL, whichever one it is, take a look at them because their prices are significantly less than a lot of the kind of common laboratories. So just, just take a look at them. It is a little bit more cumbersome because you do have to mail it versus, you know, just having an automatic pickup. Yeah. But it can save your clinic and your client a ton of money, especially if you have people that are more price sensitive. Mm-hmm. So that's definitely a, a huge 
And the website's uh, user-friendly too. Like as long yeah. as you set up an account, you can easily print your shipping labels from there and you just package it with ice and send it on its way. It's great. And they're fast. Yeah. It's, it's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> we have some links on the website too yes. that are for both, you know, looking at ultrasounds and some of the testing and, and also supplementing because uh, vitamin B12 is kind of the, one of the most common ones, especially mm -hmm. if they're vomiting and all that stuff or diarrhea. And, and so we'll put the links in there for you guys, which also has the GI lab links as well. Yeah. Good stuff. Hospitalizing, which we do a lot more of versus like outpatient care. I think it's more seen in general practice. You yeah. try to treat outpatient first before you do hospitalization, I think, unless blood panels show otherwise. <laughs> yeah. So I remember in general practice, it was more sub-Q fluids, anti-nausea injection, send home with some anti-nausea injections and some bland food. Mm -hmm. I think that's probably the most which it does work thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I would say that works for an acute episode. Definitely. I don't think for chronic, that's going to be. No, I think for, best way to go about it. for definitely chronic, especially when you assess the hydration status, if dehydration is an issue, that pet should be hospitalized with an IV catheter and IV fluids. And then if ideally, yeah, patient or client permitting, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. And I was going to say, and finance, I mean, that's huge when we're talking to our client. I, I, we talked, we actually talked about this this week at my clinic. You want to be very careful about making judgments about people mm -hmm. um, by the way that they look, you know, you can have someone with a ton of money that comes in wearing ripped jeans and duct tape shoes, yeah. you know, and they're like, yeah, no problem. Or they have insurance. So it's like, yeah, no problem. Versus someone who's dressed to the nines, yeah. maybe they can't afford the gold standard treatment. So being able to present the gold standard, mm -hmm. but also give them options and not, not accuse them or look down on them yeah. just because they, for whatever reason, either can't or won't yeah. do that treatment. I think it plan, needs to so. be like a super understanding situation. I mean, we should all get it. We mm -hmm. are all techs. We all don't make a ton of money that if we were not working in a vet clinic and this happened to our pets, like, would we be able to afford some of these estimates we give out? So, I yeah. mean, like I've, I've actually told clients. Yeah. That. I tell I'm people like, that all the time. There's no way I could do this. Yeah. Like I 100% I yeah. understand, but here was what option A is. And this is what the doctor feels like is probably the best route to take. But if you can't, mm -hmm. if we can't do that, then we will make it work with this. I think that's pretty good. And I do like to ask people if they have like a number in mind, like, so we don't exceed that price. Mm -hmm. um, so we can try to really work within their budget if they have a specific budget. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's actually really smart. Yeah. I can do that sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> and and honestly, I mean, having that conversation with them, it's hard. It, it is hard, but it makes it so that that pet gets the best care they can, right? Because if yeah. they only have a limited amount of funds, well, you know, if, if I had, a, if I had all the funds in the world, I would run all these tests, which yeah, is great, exactly. except now we're still not treating the pet. So exactly. knowing what they have to work with, maybe we just treat symptomatically without exactly. knowing exactly what's going on. So yeah. You Especially coming from a specialty hospital, I think it's easier to see that like there are times that like we really want to treat your pet and so we'll forego the ultrasound. Yeah, we don't yeah. know why your pet's vomiting, but it doesn't matter right now if we just need to try to get your pet feeling better for a good quality of life versus a specific diagnosis, then we'll go there and then yeah, save up money and maybe we can try to come back at it in a little, yeah. in a couple weeks. Yeah. So we do try to give people those options of like, take this estimate home, look it over, try this for now. And if this doesn't work, then we're going to recommend an endoscopic procedure or this and this right, and this. Right. I think that's a conversation to remind doctors about sometimes, because mm -hmm. I feel like depending on the doctor you work with, I think they just want to fix everything, right? Yes. They're like, I can do this. I can fix it. Well, sometimes it's not about fixing it so much as like quality of life, both for pets and the owners and the family, right? Because yeah. if, if you're making them do a medication every two hours, including overnight. Well, that's not a quality of life for either one of them necessarily. So mm -hmm. it is that balance. Um, and I yeah. think technicians, we, we have the advantage that we can sometimes bridge the gap between clients and yeah, doctors definitely. and bring it together. Yeah. Cause it can be, I mean, the whole money talk in general can definitely be frustrating, especially when people don't have any money and then they're mm -hmm. like, well, don't you want to help our pets? That's a whole different story. But yes, like, mm -hmm. yes, we want to help pets and yes, we will try to work with you to the best of our abilities. But at the same time, it does cost money 
to try to do so. So right. Yeah. I think that's a, yeah, that's a whole other <laughs> realm to dive into. Yeah, definitely. But, and then, but client communication is key. Mm-hmm. Like you got to communicate with your clients as to what they expect to get out of coming to your hospital. Yeah. Yeah. And both like what is expected of that visit and then also long-term, you know, what, what yeah. are, what's the follow-up or is it just the one-time thing and we're done or, Hey, you know, we need to recheck in a couple of weeks or weekly or in six months or whatever it is. What's the follow-up on it? What's the long-term treatment plan, especially with vomiting? You know, if it's, if it's an easy fix, like let's say it's a food responsive uh, vomiting gastroenteritis kind of thing. Well then great. The food fixed it. Hopefully you stay on that diet and we don't have to see you, but but maybe it's not just food related and we have to do further, you know, specialty care. Yeah. And this is something too, working in a general practice, hopefully you have a relationship with the doctors that you work with that you feel comfortable and empowered to, to, to question, not them necessarily, but question the treatment plan and be like, Hey, I don't understand. Do you think it might be a good idea to send it to specialty practice? You know, can we do a referral? Because honestly, I will tell you right now, if you don't work in a specialty practice, we don't want to keep your clients. I, I don't want to keep them. Yeah, definitely not. <laughs> you know, there's plenty of times I'm like, no, please go back to your general practice vet. I have no idea about anything when it comes to yeah. flea products. I, I don't know. We don't even have vaccines in my hospital. So I'm not even no, doing we that. Either. We don't have dental equipment in my hospital. We, we you know, so there's there's very specific things that are general practice things yeah, versus yeah. We specialty. We don't even sell food. We just try to get people yeah. uh, like an answer. And then we're like, go buy the food from your regular bag. Yeah, like we very rarely sell the food. We give them samples sometimes. And then we're yeah, like, please we go get it somewhere else. It's too expensive yeah. here. Please go, go. So yes, most, most special specialty hospitals are willing to like work with general practice and give you your patient back. Yeah. I don't know if a lot of general practices are always willing to have a patient back, but <laughs> we, I have been there. I'm like, you need to go to UC Davis. They can solve yeah. all your problems. Yeah. We, we know those patients when they walk through our door. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I think keeping the lines of communication open though, with your client and just finding out, find out from your veterinarian, like what is next if this doesn't work Mm -hmm. and then keeping the lines of communication where, you know, Miss Smith calls and buddy's still, he did great for a whole month on the new diet. Um, but as soon as we came off of Serenia, he vomited once, but then he was good. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's just kind of taking those minor notes to see like what changed and, you know, now he's going to the dog park, but he still vomits maybe once every other week. And so I think it's just, I know we we're talking about cats, but I got stuck on dogs. I know. I was I like, thought. oh, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to take my cat to the dog park. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it is like, it definitely translates to either one of them, really. I mean, yeah. I mean, hey, cats walk on leashes now. So they do go outside and go places. My, my cat acts like he's uh, dead when I put the leash on him. He just like <laughs> falls over. It's really funny. I love it. But yeah. And when we're talking about, you know, food trials, does the vomiting continue? Probiotics. Did we talk about probiotics? We have not yet, but I know yeah. that it's definitely a topic. Yeah. So probiotics are great. There's prebiotics, there's probiotics. And we'll talk about that. I think a little bit more in depth in the, the lower GI stuff, because we're yes. talking upper GI, we're going to talk lower GI. And I think probiotics definitely play more of a role in there. So we'll, we'll talk about mm-hmm. it. Yeah. I think communication, client communication and follow-up is huge. And then, yeah. And then as far as like cautions for vomiting, I think the biggest, the biggest things that we see is dehydration, right? We all know Mm -hmm. about that. So making sure our pets don't become dehydrated, either sub-Q fluids or or IV fluids, plenty of fresh water for them. And then aspiration. I I feel like trying to think of the last time I saw an aspiration pneumonia on a cat. I think it was probably like post-stop and there was a lot of stuff going on with the cat. Yeah. I don't think it happens nearly as much, but dogs for sure, you know, the, especially regurgitation, I feel they get more aspiration mm. than vomiting. Cause that projectile comes out, whereas regurgitation, not so much keeping an eye on that telling clients what to look for as far as mm. aspiration goes. So the other thing we have is the tip of the week. It's the tip of the week. So we, I think the regurge versus vomiting is huge when you're talking to your clients. So I think that's 
one of the big tips of the of the week. And then the other is the handout for getting history, you know, from your clients. So we'll we'll have that in the in the show notes. Yeah, because it's something that you can definitely take into your clinic and try to implement it and try to just get more thorough histories. Yeah. And 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 Jordan and I, we talked about this a little bit earlier, was you know, it, it doesn't matter if your clinic is paper or paperless or paper light, right? <laughs> um, you can use the handout and, and you can, you know, if you need something where you want to upload it to your computer, let us know. You can send us an email. I'm happy to send you a version that you can upload and use. Um, I use EasyVet in my clinic. So I have a template in EasyVet that I use for every appointment for histories. You know, Jordan, I think right now she's doing more handwritten and then yes. putting it in the computer. So again, depending on what your clinic uses, but you can use a template to make things much easier. Yeah, definitely. So I think, I think we covered some good stuff. Hopefully you got a lot out of this episode. And now for the question of the week. So what was the most surprising thing that we talked about that you, or that you learned today? How can you incorporate something that you learned today into your practice? So if you want to leave us a comment, we would be happy to kind of shout you out next week. If you have any good tips or if you have a funny story or just something surprising that you want to share. Yeah. uh, Please uh, answer the question of the week. You guys, it it helps us to know stuff about you and also what you would like to, to talk about. So definitely the question of the week. And like Jordan said, we'll, we'll mention you on the podcast. (laughs) You can be podcast famous. Cause I know there's, there's so many of you guys out there and you have brilliant ideas on how to incorporate things and you know, what, what would help you. And so being surprised by something and, and how you're going to use it, which is really kind of cool actually. So, so definitely check out, definitely check out the website, which is going to be internal medicine for slash podcast. And we'll make sure to get everything up there and get, get it updated for you. Yeah. And we look forward to hearing from you guys. Let us know what else you want us to talk about. And if you have any questions or just cool stories that you want to share. Yeah, definitely. You can definitely leave a comment. You can email us. All of our information is going to be on the website, all the resources that we talked about, plus some show notes. So if there's anything we talked about that you really want more information on, check out the show notes as well. And the resources we will have all the links there. And uh, I think, I think that's it for this, the third episode. And again, celebrate your national cat day. Give your kitty cat a hug and know, tell them that we know if they're vomiting. Hopefully they don't. Yeah, no problem. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you like what you heard, we'd love for you to share with someone you think might enjoy the podcast and make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Want to give us a boost? Please leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher and we'll be sure to say thank you. Find out everything about us at internalmedicineforvettex.com. Talk to you next week. Bye.